You're listening to Way in the Wilderness podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Kevin. Together with our families, we bought homes next to one another and set out on a journey to create a buildingless church in the mountains of North Carolina. We're committed to learning to better love our neighbors and better love the creation all around us, believing that in doing so, we will better know and experience the love of the Creator. We're grateful each day to be in community with the people here and with each one of you. Well, if you're planning to do any holiday baking this year, uh, unless you're gluten-free, you are probably going to use some form of wheat. I learned something uh, really interesting this week about wheat. So kernels of wheat contain uh, three basic parts. The germ, which is basically the, the seed the starchy endosperm, and then the bran, which is the the seed coat. When the germ is crushed, oil comes out that actually turns the flour bad within a couple of days if it's not used. And it actually becomes uh, rancid, which sort of reminds me of the manna that God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness. And if you don't remember that story, God provided just enough manna each day, but If they tried to save it, store it, and then hoard it, it would go bad. They had to rely on each day's provisions. Now, if you look in your cabinet, uh, many of us probably have some flour that has been there much longer than just a few days. Uh, This wouldn't have been possible 200 years ago, but in in the late 1800s, roller mills learned that if they removed the germ and if they removed the bran, And if they left just that endosperm, they could grind it up and then sell it as flour without the risk of it going bad. This would also mean that they could grow more and more wheat, more than could ever be used at once. We no longer needed to grow only enough, and we stopped balancing our use of wheat with other grains. God's manna could finally be stored. And like with so many other crops, we boasted in our unstable, unsustainable food production system and continued to forget that the soil beneath our feet is actually alive, filled with living organisms doing important holy work of life, death, and resurrection just below the surface of things. And so as we over-farmed the land, we took the fertility out of the soil and didn't put back what we'd taken. And we were only able to keep it producing through the use of chemicals, almost like keeping someone alive on a ventilator, even though they're really dead. And to this day, instead of working with the living soil, we fight against nature, stripping the land of every good nutrient in the process. We harm rather than bless the soil. Success looks like a good harvest and an abundant production. And too often we pay little regard to what we have sacrificed in our manipulations. Instead of seeing the diverse and rich resources of this world as a gift, we've manipulated the earth to produce what we think we want. And the way we eat today is destroying the world around us. But let's get back to our new and improved uh, long-lasting flour for a second. So in only using one of the three parts of the kernel of wheat, we also took out about 80% of the nutritional benefit of what used to be called flour. Yes, we were able to make a truly white flour, but it was hardly what it once was. It was now a dead, chalky powder that no longer even tasted like wheat. And we label it pure white flour. 
but white does not mean better, and it's far from pure, and it's not even really flour. What's most interesting to me is that this means that few of us really even know what fresh wheat tastes like anymore. Unless we've ground our own flour from all parts of the wheat and used it quickly, we have no idea what fresh, flavorful wheat actually tastes like. And this just blows my mind. Of course, this is just one example of many ways that we continue to choose money, ease, hoarding, and mass production over good practice, care of creation, and what is healthy not only for humans, but also for animals, for plants, and for the living soil beneath our feet. So talking about uh, food production in the United States, Wendell Berry wrote, we come with visions, but not with sight. We did not see or understand where we were or what was there, but destroyed what was there for the sake of what we desired. And it's here in this place of our own darkness and desecration that the Lord says to us through the prophet Joel, return to me with all your hearts with fasting, with weeping, and with sorrow. Tear your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, very patient, full of faithful love, and ready to forgive. Speaking to the soil and using the exact same Hebrew word, Adama, that was used in Genesis for the fertile soil from which the human Adam was formed, the prophet Joel goes on to say, don't fear fertile land. Don't fear fertile land. Rejoice and be glad for the Lord is about to do great things. And then to even the mistreated animals whose entire lives are diminished for the sake of human greed and food production, Joel says, don't be afraid animals of the field. Don't be afraid animals of the field. For the meadows of the wilderness will turn green. The tree will bear its fruit. The fig tree and grapevine will give their full yield. When Joel proclaims that the threshing floors will be full of grain and the vats will overflow with new wine and fresh oil, he's talking about an expansive view of salvation that includes a renewed creation where animals, humanity, and soil all live in harmony with one another once again, caring for one another, all bound up in the love of our Creator God. And it makes sense then why Throughout the Bible, including the Gospels, God's kingdom is not individualistic, but is portrayed as a feast, a giant party where we celebrate death being swallowed up forever, not just the death of humans, but the death of all creation, including the fertile soil beneath our feet, to which Joel proclaims that message of hope and restoration. And so it will be a feast with good food, from plants offering their full yield, Vats will overflow with new wine, and the bread which Jesus breaks will taste like the wheat of the field, and it will nourish us and bless us in ways it never has before. Friends, this is why uh, the weekly feasts we shared together before COVID were so meaningful and important. It was a foretaste to an even greater feast that is to come, and how I look forward to the day when we can feast together once again. And part of Advent is about longing for what's to come, but simply longing's not enough. Now, those of you who have been a part of Christian communities in the past may know that uh, typically the third week of Advent is the one that represents the pink candle, and it's considered a week of joy. 
And the reason that we wait until that third week uh, to light that pink candle is because we first need uh, a couple weeks for repentance. And God, through the words of Joel, certainly calls us to repentance, to better love and care for all of creation, including the animals, the soil, and one another, to better love God. But it's been a crazy year. <laughs> and I think we need joy sooner rather than later. Uh, and so I asked Kevin if, if he would mind if I broke all kind of made-up rules and lit the pink candle of joy second this year. Instead of fighting against it, I want to fully embrace how different things are this year. Now, one of the reasons I read from the prophet Joel this week is because uh, his message of hope, of coming joy, of celebration, of feasting, did not come at a time when that message was easy to hear. In fact, his words were proclaimed during a great plague in which people were hurting and suffering and even dying due largely to their own foolishness. He didn't tell people to hide away, to wait it out, to simply pray that they would be protected. Through the prophet, God said that now is the time to return to me with all your hearts. Now is the time to change your ways and your practices. Now is the time to begin anew. Now is the time to learn to love your neighbors better. Now is the time to learn to treat the plants and animals with kindness and respect. Now is the time to care for the living soil beneath your feet. Pandemic or not, there are many things that can and will fill us with joy this season if we'll allow them to. Christmas Day may look different for each of us this year, but different offers us a much needed place of new opportunity and change. Maybe more of the same is not what we or our world need right now. You know, we can spend these weeks of Advent mourning our losses, cursing the year 2020, or we can join Joel in envisioning a better future with joy. I wonder what you might do over these next few weeks of actively waiting for Christmas that will fill you with the Creator's creative joy. How might even what we begin to think about placing on our Christmas tables be a sign of God's daily abundance, of God's great love, and of the hope we have in that new creation? How might we choose to get ready for Christ's coming by preparing something that looks more like a foretaste of the fullness of God's kingdom? With Jesus born among us, we can find strength in adversity, hope in the waiting, and joy in new life and new possibilities. We're actively waiting for that banquet. We are actively waiting for that day of salvation when, as Isaiah put it, he will swallow up death forever. He will remove his people's disgrace from off the whole earth. We are actively waiting for a new age where the power that death exercises over life will be no more. And all the earth is waiting too. I want to taste and see and experience the goodness of God's creation in all the ways that God designed us to. I, I want to work with you all to make our homes and our communities draw closer and closer to that new creation. And right now, I want us to receive the joy that God offers to us, to the animals and to the soil saying, don't fear don't be afraid. Return to me with all your hearts. 
Friends, has there ever been a better time for this than right now? I want the feast that is to come. And I don't think we should just sit around and wait for it to come. God wants us to feast in God's joy right now in even this unique season of difficulty and yet of opportunity. As we hunger for change in ourselves and in our communities and in our country and in the world, may we once again recognize the ways in which God sustains us in God's abundance. God will give us enough for today. And God will give us enough for tomorrow. Just as God fed the Israelites with manna each day. Just as Jesus fed the 5,000 in their moment of need. Just as Jesus shared bread and wine with his friends in the upper room and offered it to us again on the cross. Teach us, O Lord, to experience your joy this season. Teach us new ways to live into your new creation this Christmas. And O Lord, as you come to us again, bring light into our darkness. Teach us what love of land, love of creature, love of one another, love of all creation really looks like. In this way, teach us to love you well. And oh, by the way, will you even teach us what real wheat tastes like again? May the joy of your kingdom of feasting be the joy of our hearts now and forever. Amen. Around, and the wind against my skin, every 
May joy find you this day and this season. Let us go forth preparing for the feast. May your peace be an anchor in the stormy tide. May your hope run like a river that'll never run dry. May your burdens grow alive. May your worries subside. This is my prayer for you. May your soul grow deep. May your joy run wild. May your heart know the face of a mercy that smiles. May your faith come to let you believe like a child. This is my prayer. 